Welcome to the By Candlelight podcast, where we seek to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Today we are taking a bit of a different approach, and we're actually going to be looking at a sermon of John Wesley. John Wesley is, a, I guess, an evangelical. He is sort of known as the father of evangelicalism, even though there are many others who also uh, had important roles in shaping evangelicalism. John Wesley is known for his preaching, but he's also known for this interesting idea that he has called Christian Perfection. And if you want to read more about that, there's a book called On Christian Perfection by him that explains it. And I could also do a podcast on it later on. But today I'm going to read one of his sermons. And I think the one thing that has been most impactful for me by reading John Wesley is his emphasis on love as a measure of discipleship. So love for God and then love for neighbor. And I think that's fairly clear that you can see the influence on this podcast by the way that we open. And so I'm going to read one of his sermons that he preached on July 25th in 1741 at St. Mary's Oxford. And so just to warn you, there is different language that's being used in this sermon. Uh, I've done some changes that are my own changes. And so it's not necessarily, you won't necessarily find the exact changes in other, at other sermons or if you find a different copy of this. So some of it is a little bit difficult to understand. You sort of have to chew on it. And so I'll give a link in the description for where you can actually read the sermon yourself if there's anything that you want to go over. And again, a lot of these older texts can all be found on ccel.org, which I'll also link to in the description. But here we go with John Wesley's sermon, The Almost Christian. So Acts 26, verse 28. Almost you persuade me to be a Christian. And many there are who go so far. Ever since the Christian religion was in the world, there have been many in every age and nation who were almost persuaded to be Christians. But seeing it avails nothing before God to, o- to only go so far, it highly imports us to consider. First, what is implied in being almost? Secondly, what in being altogether a Christian? Now, in the being almost a Christian is implied, first, heathen honesty. No one, I suppose, will make any question of this, especially since by heathen honesty here I mean, not that which is recommended in the writings of their philosophers only, but such as the common heathens expected of one another, and many of them actually practiced. By the rules of this, they were taught that they ought not to be unjust, not to take away their neighbor's goods, either by robbery or theft, not to oppress the poor, neither to use extortion toward any, not to cheat or overrich, either the poor or rich, in whatsoever commerce they had with them, to defraud no man of his right, and if it were possible, to owe no man anything. Again, the common heathens allowed that some regard was to be paid to truth, as well as to justice. And accordingly, they not only held him in abomination who was forsworn, who called God to witness to a lie, but him also who was known to be a slanderer of his neighbor, who falsely accused any man, and indeed little better that they esteem willful liars of any sort, accounting them the disgrace of humankind and the pests of society. Yet again, there was a sort of love and assistance which they expected one from another, 
They expected whatever assistance anyone could give another without prejudice to himself. And this they extended not only to those little offices of humanity which are performed without any expense or labor, but likewise to the feeding the hungry, if they had food to spare, the clothing the naked with their own superfluous raiment, and in general the giving to any that needed such things as they needed not themselves. Thus far, in the lowest account of it, heathen honesty went, the first thing implied in being almost a Christian. A second thing implied in the being almost a Christian is the having a form of godliness, of that godliness which is prescribed in the gospel of Christ, the having the outside of a real Christian. Accordingly, the almost Christian does nothing which the gospel forbids. He takes not the name of, of God in vain. He blesses and curses not. He swears not at all, but his communication is yes, yes, and no, and no. He profanes not the day of the Lord, nor suffers it to be profaned, even by the stranger that is within his gates. He not only avoids all actual adultery, fornication, and uncleanness, but every word or look that either directly or indirectly tends to that. No, and in all idle words, abstaining both from detraction, backbiting, tail-bearing, evil-speaking, and from all foolish talking and jesting, wittiness, or eutropelia, a kind of virtue in the heathen moralist's account. Briefly, from all conversation that is not good to the use of edifying, and that, consequently, grieves the Holy Spirit of God, whereby we are sealed to the day of redemption. He abstains from wine, wherein is excess, from revelings and gluttony, he avoids as much as in him lies, all strife and contention, continually endeavoring to live peaceably with all men. And if he suffers wrong, he avenges not himself, neither returns evil for evil. He is no railer, no brawler, no scoffer. Either at the faults or infirmities of his neighbor, he does not willingly wrong, hurt, or grieve any man, but in all things acts and speaks by that plain rule. Whatsoever thou wouldest not, he should do unto thee, that, d that do not thou to another. And in doing good, he does not confine himself to cheap and easy offices of kindness, but labors and suffers for the profit of many, that by all means he may help some. In spite of toil or pain, whatsoever his hand finds to do, he does it with his might. Whether it be for his friends or for his enemies, for the evil or for the good, for being not slothful in this or in any business, as he has opportunity, he does good. All manner of good, and to all men, and to their souls as well as to their bodies, he reproves the wicked, instructs the ignorant, confirms the wavering, quickens the good, and comforts the afflicted. He labors to awaken those that sleep, to lead those whom God has already awakened to the fountain opened for sin and for uncleanness that they may wash therein and be clean, and to stir, stir up those who are saved through faith, to adorn the gospel of Christ in all things. He that has the form of godliness uses also the means of grace. Yes, all of them, and at all opportunities. He constantly frequents the house of God, and that not as the manner of some who come into the presence of the Most High, either loaded with gold and costly apparel, or in, in all the gaudy vanity of dress, 
and either by their unreasonable civilities to each other or the impertinent gaiety of their behavior, disclaim all pretensions to the form as well as to the power of godliness, would to God there were none even among ourselves who fall under the same condemnation, who come into this house, it may be, gazing about or with all the signs of the most listless, careless indifference, though sometimes they may seem to use a prayer to God for his blessing on what they are entering upon, who during that awful service are either asleep or reclined in the most convenient posture for it, or as though they supposed God was asleep, talking with another, one another or looking around as utterly void of employment. Neither let these be accused of the form of godliness. No, he who has even this behaves with seriousness and attention in every part of that solemn service. More especially when he approaches the table of the Lord, it is not with a light or careless behavior, but with an air, gesture, and deportment which speaks nothing else but God be merciful to me, a sinner. To this, if we add the constant use of family prayer by those who are masters of families and the setting times apart for private addresses to God with the daily seriousness of behavior, he who uniformly practices this outward religion has the form of godliness. There needs but one thing more in order to this being almost a Christian, and that is sincerity but sincerity i mean a real inward principle of religion from whence these outward actions flow and indeed if we have not this we have not heathen honesty no not so much of it as w as will answer the demand of a heathen epicurean poet even this poor wretch in his sober intervals is able to testify good men avoid sin from the love of virtue Wicked men avoid sin from fear of punishment. So that if a man only abstains from doing evil in order to avoid punishment, he shall not be hanged, says the pagan. There thou hast thy reward. But even, even if he will not allow such a harmless man as this to be so much as a good heathen, if then any man, from the same motive, to avoid punishment, to avoid the loss of his friends, or his gain, or his reputation, should not only abstain from doing evil, but also do ever so much good. Yes, and all, use all the means of grace. Yet we could not with any propriety say, this man is even almost a Christian. If he has no better principle in his heart, he is only a hypocrite altogether. Sincerity, therefore, is necessarily implied in the being almost a Christian, a real design to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will. It is necessarily implying that a man have a sincere view of pleasing God in all things, in all his conversation, in all his actions, in all he does or leaves undone. This design, if any man be almost a Christian, runs through the whole tenor of his life. This is the moving principle, both in his doing good, his abstaining from evil, and is using the ordinances of God. But here it will probably be inquired, is it possible that any man living should go so far as this, and nevertheless be only almost a Christian? What more than this can be implied in the being a Christian altogether? I answer, first, that it is possible to go thus far and yet be but almost a Christian. I learn not only from the oracles of God, 
but also from the sure testimony of experience. Brethren, great is my boldness towards you in this behalf, and forgive me this wrong, if I declare my own folly upon the housetop for yours and the gospel's sake. Suffer me, then, to speak freely of myself, even as another man. I am content to be abased, so that you may be exalted, and to be yet more vile for the glory of my Lord. I did this for many years, as many of this place can testify, using diligence to eschew all evil, and to have a conscience void of offense, redeeming the time, buying up every opportunity of doing all good to all men, constantly and carefully using all the public and all the private means of grace, endeavoring after a steady seriousness of behavior at all times and in all places, and God is my record before whom I stand, doing all this in sincerity, having a real design to serve God, a hearty desire to do his will in all things, to please him who had called me to fight the good fight and to lay hold of eternal life, Yet my own conscience beareth with me witness in the Holy Ghost that all this time I was but almost a Christian. If it be inquired, what more than this is implied in the being altogether a Christian? I answer. First, the love of God. For so says his word, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Such a love is this, as engrosses the whole heart, as rakes up all the affections, as fills the entire capacity of the soul and employs the utmost extent of all its faculties. He that loves the Lord his God, his spirit continually rejoices in God his Savior. His delight is in the Lord, his Lord and his all, to whom in everything he gives thanks. All his desire is unto God and to the remembrance of his name. His heart is ever crying out, Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is none upon the earth that, is, that I desire besides you. Indeed, what can he desire besides God, not the world, or the things of the world? For he is crucified to the world, and the world crucified to him. He is crucified to the desires of the flesh, the desire of the eye, and the pride of life. Yes, he is dead to pride of every kind, for love is not puffed up. But he that dwells alone in love dwells in God, and God in him is less than nothing in his own eyes. The second thing implied in the being altogether a Christian is the love of neighbor. For thus said our Lord in the following words, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself, if any man ask, who is my neighbor? We reply, every man in the world, every child of his father who is the father of the spirits of all flesh. Nor may we in any wise accept our enemies or the enemies of God and their own souls. But every Christian loves these also as himself, as Christ loves us. He that would more fully understand what manner of love this is may consider St. Paul's description of it. It is long-suffering and kind. It envies not, it is not rash or hasty in judging. It is not puffed up, but makes him that loves the least the servant of all. Love does not behave itself unseemly, but becomes all things to all men. 
She seeks not her own, but only the good of others, that they may be saved. Love is not provoked. It casts out wrath, which he who has is wanting in love. It thinks no evil, rejoices not in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth. It covers all things, believes all things, and hopes all things, endures all things. There is yet one thing more that may be separately considered, though it cannot actually be separate from the preceding, which is implied in the being altogether a Christian. And that is the ground of all, even faith. Very excellent things are spoken of this throughout the oracles of God. Everyone, says the beloved disciple, that believes is born of God. To as many as received him, gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. And this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Yes, our Lord himself declares, he that believes in the Son has everlasting life and comes not into condemnation, but is passed from death on to life. But here let no man deceive his own soul. It is diligently to be noted the faith which brings not forth repentance and love and all good works is not that right living faith, but a dead and devilish one. For even the devils believe that Christ was born of a virgin, that he wrought all kinds of miracles, declaring himself very God, that for our sakes he suffered a most painful death to redeem us from death everlasting, that he rose again the third day, that he has ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father, and at the end of the world shall come again to judge both the quick and dead. These articles of our faith, the devils believe. And so they believe all that is written in the Old and New Testament. And yet for all this faith, they are devils. They remain still in their damnable estate, lacking the very true Christian faith. The right and true Christian faith not only to believe that the Holy Scripture and the articles of our faith are true, but also to have a sure trust and confidence to be saved from everlasting damnation by Christ. It is a sure trust and confidence which a man has in God that by the merits of Christ his sins are forgiven, and he reconciled to the favor of God from where follows a loving heart to obey his commandments. Now, whosoever has this faith, which purifies the heart by the power of God who dwells therein, from pride, anger, desire from all unrighteousness, from all filthiness of flesh and spirit, which it fills it with love stronger than death, both to God and to all mankind. Love that does the works of God, glorying to spend and to be spent for all men, and that endureth with joy, not only the reproach of Christ, that being mocked, despised, and hated of all men, but to whatsoever the wisdom of God permits, the malice of men or devils to inflict. Whosoever has this faith, thus working by love, is not almost only, but altogether a Christian. But who are the living witnesses of these things? I beseech you, brethren, as in the presence of that God before whom hell and destruction are without a covering, how much more the hearts of the children of men, that each of you would ask his own heart, am I of that number? Do I so far practice justice, mercy, and truth, 
as even the rules of heathen honesty require? If so, have I the very outside of a Christian, Christian the form of godliness? Do I abstain from evil, from whatsoever is forbidden in the written word of God? Do I, whatever good my hand finds to do, do it with all my might? Do I seriously use all the ordinances of God at all opportunities? And is all this done with a sincere design and desire to please God in all things? Are not many of you conscious that you never came this far, that you have not been even almost a Christian, that you have not come up to the standard of heathen honesty, at least not to the form of Christian godliness, much less has God seen sincerity in you, a real design of pleasing him in all things. You never so much as intended to devote all your words and works, your business, studies, diversions to his glory. You never even designed or desired that whatsoever you did should be done in the name of the Lord Jesus and as such should be a spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ. But supposing you had, do good designs and desires make a Christian? By no means, unless they are brought to good effect. Hell is paid, says one, with good intentions. The great question of all then still remains. Is the love of God shed abroad in your heart? Can you cry out, my God and my all? Do you desire nothing but him? Are you happy in God? Is he your glory, your delight, your crown of rejoicing? And is this commandment written in your heart, that he who loves God loves his brother also? Do you then love your neighbor as yourself? Do you love every man, even your enemies, even the enemies of God as your own soul, as Christ loved you? Do you believe that Christ loves you? and gave himself for you? Have you faith in his blood? Do you believe the Lamb of God has taken away your sins and cast them as a stone into the depth of the sea, that, that he has blotted out the handwriting that was against you, taking it out of the way, nailing it to his cross? Have you indeed redemption through his blood? even the remission of your sins? And does the Spirit bear witness with your spirit that you are a child of God? The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who now stands in the midst of us, knows that if any man dies without his faith and this love, good it were for him that he had never been born. Awake, then, you that sleep, and call upon your God, Call in the day when he may be found. Let him not rest till he make his goodness to pass before you, till he proclaim unto your name the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. Let no man persuade you by vain words to rest short of this prize of your high calling. But cry unto him day and night, who while we were without strength, died for the ungodly. 
until you know in who you have believed and can say, My Lord and my God. Remember always to pray and not to faint, till you can till you also can lift up your hand into heaven and declare to him that lives forever and ever. Lord, you know all things, and you know that I love you. May we all thus experience what it is to be, not almost only, but altogether Christians, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus, knowing we have peace with God through Jesus Christ, rejoicing in hope of the glory of God and having the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost given unto us. John Wesley's sermon on the almost Christian really hits a lot of things. And I think even as I read this, and I've read it before a few times to prepare for this, there are still a lot of points where I'm kind of confused because of the language that's so different. But to the best of my ability, I understand that Wesley is sort of calling out a superficial Christian or a person who believes they're Christian just because they show up at church on a Sunday morning. He's calling for a deeper, whole heart devotion with this new, I guess, born again experience. He is the father of evangelicalism, which is which is one of its main kind of tenets as this choice or decision or born again experience. And he's calling us to that, that our faith or our love and all these things isn't just found in doing the right things and hoping for the right things, but rather it is an ascent to the truth and then also this, this deep renewal of our souls by the Holy Spirit so that we may serve God with love, you know, to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. Here, closer to the end, he has those list of questions of where we stand. He sort of asks his audience, are you this? Or do you desire to, to love God the most and above all? And I think those questions should challenge us. And I think we should consider them over and over because Wesley is obviously not afraid to call out people and to even say that most of us aren't even almost Christian where we think we are but we've missed what's so important to our faith and that's loving God and to love our neighbor. Yeah, I think of C.S. Lewis's quote and perhaps I'll put it in the description as well where he explains, C.S. Lewis explains that our God isn't just interested in your time or your work or, or these different activities that you're doing. God's actually interested in all of you. He wants you, not your time, not your attention, not your activities, he wants you. And that's what this high calling is that Wesley says that we have. The highest calling is to love the Lord our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love our neighbor as ourselves. And it's challenging and it's that call that should drive us to our knees before God. I hope what's, what you heard in the sermon will be a blessing to you. I pray that it will help you to grow, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself.